want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we stand because when the Word is read or when we read it or listen to it, we hear God speaking to us. And we want to stand as servants that are ready to obey that which we hear. So if you would turn with me to Matthew 7, 15 through 20. If you need a pew Bible, that is page 965. We want you to use that and uh, follow along as we read Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word And we want you to prepare our hearts to hear it preached to us. Lord, we pray for Pastor Bruce that you would uh, fill him with your spirit. And may the words he say be your words that he has prepared from your word. Father, this is a serious warning. And it's one that is needed now more than ever. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that will learn to discern. And Lord, may you protect this pulpit. May you protect this congregation. May you protect our lives during the week from the error and the falsehood and the destruction of false teachers and their false teaching. Let us beware. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most well-known fairy tales is the story of Little Red Riding Hood. I'm sure you are aware of it. If by chance you've been in a cave most of your life, let me share you the premise of the story. It tells the story of a little girl in a bright red cloak who is on her way to her sick grandmother's house in order to bring her some food. But as she travels through the forest, a, a cunning wolf learns of her journey, and arrives at the grandmother's house first, devouring the grandmother and then disguising himself as her. Once Little Red Riding Hood arrives, she has her suspicious, though, as grandmother doesn't seem to be just quite right. And so the little girl comments, well, what a deep voice you have, to which the wolf replies, all the better to greet you with. And the girl says, oh my goodness, what big eyes you have. And the wolf says, all the better to see you with. What a big hands you have. And the wolf replies again, all the better to hug you with. And lastly, the little girl says, what a big mouth you have. And the wolf says, all the better to eat you with. 
And at that point, the wolf jumps out of grandma's bed and swallows her up. Isn't it a great story to tell little kids? <laughs> Thankfully, that's not the end of the story, though, as a lumberjack soon comes along, cuts the wolf's belly open, and rescues Little Red Riding Hood and her grandmother, and all is well and good. But the lesson from the story is actually worth remembering. Not everyone is as they seem. There are people who appear that they are your friends, but in reality, they're merely baiting you in hopes of doing some type of harm to you. Today, we refer to people like that as wolves in sheep's clothing. Of course, the origin of that phrase comes from Jesus Christ right here in the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus wraps up this sermon, he warns us now in these particular verses, verses 15 through 16, where he says, Beware, beware of false prophets or false teachers who come to you, as we learned in the story of Little Red Riding Hood, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Now, the essence of Jesus' warning here isn't complex. It's fairly easy to understand. And so let me give you the big idea of what Jesus is warning us about. Here's the big idea, the main idea of what he's saying to us in this conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. He's basically saying true followers of Jesus Christ must guard against false teachers. How? By discerning their fruits. Now this word beware, it's a very intense word. It's a word that is both a warning, but also a command. Which means, therefore, that as Christ followers, as those who are now kingdom citizens, we should constantly pay attention and be on guard against false teachers. But why is it so important to guard against false teachers or false prophets? Well, because a prophet is one who speaks for God. He stands at the crossroads where the two gates are. And he's pointing people to enter the narrow gate of salvation. But a false prophet points to the wrong gate and the wide gate that leads you down the road to destruction. And so now, Jesus comes to us, and he says, as part of his conclusion here, in effect, as you enter the narrow gate, and as you walk down the narrow road that leads to eternal life, beware, beware of false teachers who will mislead you. They will claim to show you the way to heaven and eternal life, but they actually show you the way to hell and eternal destruction. And so just as it matters greatly what spiritual road you travel on, Jesus also says, listen, it also matters greatly what spiritual teachers we listen to. Why? Looks can be deceiving. So we must beware of false teachers. Now, this is a warning that is actually based on two realities here. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. In the re- it's based on the reality that, one, 
false teachers exist, but it's also based on another reality that truth matters. Listen, Jesus would not be telling us to be on guard or or to be aware of false teachers if the danger of them was not real. Jesus doesn't give false warnings. He does not put up a beware of dog sign if all you have at home are two cats. Jesus' warning is based on the reality that false teachers actually exist. This was a constant danger for Israel throughout the Old Testament, and it will continue to be a constant danger for the church in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus goes on. Again, it basically says the same thing later on in the book of Matthew here, the Gospel of Matthew. You go to chapter 24, verse 11, where Jesus says, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Now, the context of of Matthew 24 and 25 implies that false teachers will actually increase. The period preceding the end of the age would be characterized not only by the spread of the gospel globally, but also by the rise of false teachers who will lead many people away. And that away is actually to their eternal destruction. This is why. You find now in the New Testament that 24 out of the 27 books in the New Testament actually warn us as believers about false teachers. If they didn't exist, then there would be no need for continual warnings. In fact, you go to Acts chapter 20, and there Paul warns the elders at the church of Ephesus, where he says in verses 29 through 31, I know that after my departure, that's Paul speaking, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, or that word means perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, Paul says, be alert, using the same words as Jesus Now, if we had any doubts at this point, you go later in the New Testament, and there Peter writes in 2 Peter 2, 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master, that is Jesus, who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So we should not, therefore, be caught off guard. That false teachers have arisen throughout church history and have likely even multiplied in our day. This should not be a surprise. Jesus' warning is based on the reality that false teachers exist. And they exist today. But it's also based on another reality, that truth matters. Again, Jesus wouldn't be wasting his time telling us to be on guard against those who distort or perverse or twist the truth if the truth didn't matter to begin with. But as we learned last Sunday, Jesus makes it clear that truth does matter. What you believe can lead you to hell if it's false. 
Believing God's truth is necessary in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, as we learned last Sunday, that's not a popular idea in our culture today. We hear people say all the time, you can believe whatever you want. All roads lead to heaven. And so in the end, it doesn't really matter what you believe. But it does matter, as we saw last Sunday. Jesus says there's only one gate to enter. There's only one road to travel that leads to the kingdom of heaven. So it matters greatly that you believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. Your eternal destiny hangs in the balance of it. So this is a warning from Jesus Christ. And it is a warning for us even today As Christ followers, we need to be aware of false teachers. So what then are these false teachers like? Well, Jesus tells us here, in this conclusion here in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually tells us, he gives us three different truths about false teachers. So let's look at them. Let's unpack each one of these truths about false teachers. Number one is, the first thing we learn from Christ himself, is that false teachers are deceptively dangerous. They are deceptively dangerous. Now, the question here is not whether you ever hear the voice of false teachers. That is not the question. Because you do, whether you realize it or not. The question is, whether you can actually discern which messages are false that you are hearing. As David Mathis writes, and he is a contributing author to several articles for DesiringGod.org, he writes, and I quote, if you watch any television or Facebook videos, if you listen to any radio or podcast, if you keep up on the news or interact at depth with just about anyone in modern society, you are being exposed to some form of false teaching. If you cannot identify any voices you hear as false, it's not because you aren't being exposed, but because you're falling for it in some way. This is why Jesus warns us that false teachers are now deceptively Dangerous. When he says in verse 15, beware of false prophets who what? Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So how do we guard against these false teachers? Well, notice this, number one. The first thing is to realize, is to understand this truth, this idea that false teachers are outwardly deceptive. Jesus says they come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I used to picture this as a wolf putting on sheepskin, trying to look like another sheep in the flock in order to devour one of the sheep or several of the sheep. And that's not necessarily a a wrong interpretation, uh, but I think a better picture here, maybe perhaps even you could say a more correct picture, is a wolf putting on sheepskin trying to look like a Not so much a sheep, but the shepherd in order to devour the sheep. 
You see, in Jesus' day, shepherds wore sheep's clothing that were made from the wool of the sheep that they tended. This means false teachers don't deceive the flock by necessarily impersonating the sheep, but by impersonating the shepherd so he can lead the sheep astray. The point is false teachers are not always obvious, but they are deceptive in their appearance. False teachers, in other words, are not going to come in with guns blazing, denouncing Christ and causing an uproar due to their immorality. Instead, they're going to use a a far more subtle and deceptive approach. They disguise themselves in sheep's clothing, posing as a shepherd. In other words, a false teacher does not announce, does not advertise himself as a purveyor of lies. On the contrary, he claims to be a teacher of truth. This is why false teachers are are oftentimes difficult in the beginning to spot, to discern, to, to figure out who they are, especially in the beginning. In fact, this is not in your notes, but if you want to take this down, let me just give you three reasons why false teachers are so difficult to spot, especially in the beginning. Number one, in fact, you want to write it down real quick, it's because they look like a shepherd, they talk like a shepherd, and they act like a shepherd. So first of all, false teachers look like a true shepherd. They are almost always pleasant to be around, they appear to be sincere, and they can even be very encouraging in how they relate to one's people. They come across as actually caring for the sheep. But their purpose, listen to me, is to exploit the flock, not to edify the flock. False teachers look like a true shepherd. We also know that false teachers actually talk like a true shepherd. Listen, they often use the language of historic orthodoxy in order to win the acceptance of those in the church while meaning something quite different by it. Something contrary to the truth that he pretends to hold. In other words, they are not necessarily heretics in that they openly deny the truth of Scripture. But they often will speak very favorably of Christ, the cross, the resurrection, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and so on. In other words, they have the theological vocabulary. They will use the right biblical terms. The problem is they have redefined those terms even though they may not explicitly say so. However, this will not be obvious until you actually box them in a corner and you challenge them and confront them. False teachers look like a true shepherd. False teachers talk like a true shepherd. And false teachers may even act like a true shepherd. Listen to what these false teachers will say on Judgment Day. Right here in the very same passage of chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, right after these verses here, notice what Jesus says in verses 21 through 22. Look in your Bible, see what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In other words, these false teachers, they perform wonderful works in the power of Jesus' name. They were undeniable works. 
In fact, what's interesting to note about this, they list, they emphasize the gifts of the Spirit, but not the fruit of the Spirit. They boast of great religion, but not true righteousness that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5. It says you need to have that. You need to have the righteousness of Christ, in other words, to enter the kingdom of God. Paul goes on, and he writes in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end, though, will correspond to their deeds, which is the same thing Jesus is telling us here. So beware. False teachers are are outwardly deceptive. Why? Because they come to you in sheep's clothing. I love what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes. He gives this apt description of their deception. He says, the picture we need to have in our minds, therefore, should rather be this. The false teacher is a man who comes to us and who at first has the appearance of being everything that could be desired. He is nice and pleasing and pleasant. He appears to be thoroughly Christian, and he seems to say the right things. His teaching in general is quite all right, and he uses many terms that should be used and employed by a true Christian teacher. He talks about God. He seems to be saying everything that a Christian should say. He is obviously in sheep's clothing, and his way of living seems to correspond. So you do not suspect that there is anything wrong at all. There is nothing that at once attracts your attention or arouses your suspicions. Nothing glaringly wrong in the beginning. So though there is nothing apparently wrong, let me tell you, there are things that are subtly wrong. In fact, terribly wrong. Which brings us to... The second point here, notice this, false teachers are inwardly dangerous, though. They're outwardly deceptive, but they are inwardly dangerous because inwardly their nature is they are ravenous wolves. False teachers wear the clothing of a caring shepherd, but they have the character of a ferocious, ravenous wolf. There's a strange phenomenon that happens when a wolf actually comes upon a unprotected group of sheep. They literally go crazy. A wolf won't just kill one sheep to eat. It will kill and kill and kill and kill way more sheep than it can eat. People have come across what is known as, quote, surplus kills. Surplus kill sites, and it's disturbing to see, they say. Sometimes a hundred or more sheep have been slaughtered by a wolf who goes on such a killing spree. There's nothing about sheep that makes a wolf, there's, I mean, sorry, there's something about sheep that makes a wolf ravenous, not only to eat, but to slaughter. This is the danger that Jesus is warning us about. False teachers, they come disguised as caring shepherds who loves Jesus and actually wants the best for the church. But inwardly, they have a ravenous hunger about them 
to exploit and to tear apart the flock of God for their own self-interest. It's in their nature to attack and destroy the sheep. Listen again to Paul's warning to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. It's interesting that in Palestine, wolves are the most common natural enemy of sheep and are known for being merciless, fearless, ferocious. They roam the hills and the valleys looking for a sheep that strayed away from the flock or lagged behind. And when a wolf found such a sheep, let me tell you, it quickly attacked and tore it to pieces. Even a grown, healthy sheep was utterly defenseless against a wolf. So the first truth we learn about false teachers is that they are they're deceptively dangerous. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are what? Ravenous wolves. So how can we guard against such dangerous deception then? Are we at their mercy? Well, that brings us to our second truth that Jesus reveals to us here. And that is, number two, false teachers can be detected. They can be detected by their fruits. Look what Jesus says in verse 16. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. So the way to tell if you are dealing with a wolf in sheep's clothing is by examining them, discerning, looking at, inspecting their fruit. Over time, the false teacher's fruit will inevitably reveal the true state of their heart. So one can actually put on a false front for a while. Listen, none of us here are not guilty of that. We all are. But eventually, a person's true nature will manifest itself. Jesus illustrates this principle now by using a a common-sense agricultural example. He asks at the end of verse 16, notice what he says, his question here, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, it's a rhetorical question because the answer is so obvious. Good fruits such as grapes and figs don't grow from such plants. Now, it might look that way at first glance, especially if a vineyard of grapes happens to be infected with thorn bushes. And the two of them are kind of growing up in the midst of each other. In Jesus' day, everybody knew, everybody understood that that thorn bushes had these little black berries, which could be mistaken for grapes from a distance. But upon closer inspection, you would immediately see the difference between the two. And so Jesus is saying something like this. Listen, false teachers are just like this thorn bush. From a distance, they look like everything is good. However, closer inspection reveals they are false and that their fruit is poisonous. And then Jesus speaks of trees to further the analogy here in verses 17 through 18, where he says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And so Jesus likens us, all people, and especially false teachers, to trees. 
And he says, basically, just as bad trees will bear bad fruit, so will false teachers. Looks can be deceptive, but no tree can hide its identity for long. Sooner or later, it will always betray itself by its fruit. So what are these fruits, then? What is it that we should be looking for to discern false teachers and their false messages? Well, their fruit is evident in two particular areas. And that is what they say and then how they live. What they say and how they live. So we can recognize them in that regard. Basically, you see this in your notes here. False teachers can be recognized by the fruit of their teaching. They can be recognized by the fruit of their teaching. A false teacher... Listen, he may dazzle with his communication skills. But eventually, what he teaches will always give him away. Remember what Paul told the Ephesian elders. The way false teachers attack and destroy the flock is by speaking twisted things, perverted things. In other words, they twist God's word. They use biblical language even while they distort its meaning. And most of all, they misrepresent the gospel, denying that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. They don't teach what Jesus taught right here in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically what we just learned in the preceding verses last Sunday. They talk about the wide gate and the broad road, but say nothing about the narrow gate and the narrow road that leads to the kingdom of heaven. And Paul warns us of this in Galatians 1.7, where he says, There are some who trouble you, speaking to the church here, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul goes on, he even tells young Timothy to then guard against this kind of teaching in 1 Timothy 6:3 where he writes if anyone teaches a a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the teaching that accords with godliness or righteousness. Now, let me just stop and say this. The thing to watch, the thing to discern when it comes to false teachers isn't so much what they do say as much as what they don't say. The most dangerous false teachers aren't those who blatantly, obviously say false things but rather those who simply don't say very much at all about the right things, the most essential things. This is accomplished by simply neglecting to teach the doctrines or any truth of God's word that might be offensive to the hearers. So they talk about the love of God, but very little about the wrath of God or even the judgment of God. They speak about heaven, but rarely about hell. They will speak about Jesus' death on the cross, but then de-emphasize his substitutionary atonement for our sin. And when it comes to sin, they will fail to emphasize our total depravity, 
how we as human beings, how we are dead in our sins and unable to save ourselves. False teachers understand. In other words, they they never say they, they don't believe in these truths. They just avoid teaching these core doctrines. As Don Carson writes, it is even possible in some instances that everything these false teachers say is true. But because they leave out the difficult bit, they do not tell the whole truth. And therefore, their total message is false. Such teachers are then like the false prophets or the false teachers in the Old Testament who say, all is well when disaster looms and then speak, quote, smooth things. According to Jeremiah 6.14, these false prophets went around saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. There is nothing there to make anyone feel uneasy in their teaching and what they say, but rather only things that make people leave feeling good about themselves and, most importantly, deceptively feeling assured about themselves that they will be in the kingdom of heaven. The result of such false teaching, let me tell you, is disastrous. And so Jesus is warning us here, and he's saying, never, never, never underestimate the influence of bad theology and false teaching. Why? Because as we will see next Sunday, there are many people, Jesus says, who are deceived. There are many people who think they are on the right road to eternal life. But on that day, will be shocked to find out when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. They have been deceived. They enter the wide gate and they travel the broad road that leads to destruction because of these false teachers. Beware of false teachers because they exist even today. Listen, you can buy their books today. You can listen to their podcast today. They will be effective communicators, but in the end, they will say little of Christ, little of the cross, little of God's holiness, little of God's judgment, little of the atonement, little of repentance of sin, little of hell, and will do little to exhort you to enter the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. For the Christian, for one who is a true follower of Jesus Christ, listen, the Bible is the final word on what we believe. And so the most important question as we inspect the fruit of a false teacher is, is it biblical? Does this teaching line up to God's word as I'm seeing it for myself? Or is it out of line with God's word? Does it contradict God's word? Does it twist it? Does it pervert it to say something other than the plain meaning of his word? Or even, does this teacher claim to be revealing to us some new truth which no one has ever heard before? So false teachers can, first of all, be recognized by their teaching, by what they say. But we also see here that Jesus tells us that false teachers can be recognized by what they do or how they live. That is the fruit of their lives, their character and conduct. And so from a certain perspective, false teachers can surely look like true shepherds 
They can even disguise and hide their bad fruit for a while. But their character and conduct cannot be hidden forever. Sooner or later, he will be seen for what he is. As Don Carson writes, the falseness of their teaching erupts in the disobedience of their lives. Now, it's quite interesting here that in these particular verses, Jesus actually says it twice at the beginning. In fact, they bracket what he says here. He starts off with this way, and then he ends that, hey, these false teachers will be recognized, or we can recognize them by their fruits. Yes, it's possible to to put grapes on a thorn bush, but they cannot grow there. Appearances can only be kept for so long. Time will reveal the true nature of the fruit of their lives. Again, Don Carson writes, if they are not recognized immediately by their doctrine, that is by their teaching, then sooner or later they may be recognized by their lives. For what a man believes must sooner or later manifest itself in what he does. Jesus here, he affirms an unbreakable link between belief and conduct. John MacArthur summarizes it this way. False teaching and perverted living are inseparable and eventually will become manifest. Now, the more pressing concern is, do they bear the kinds of fruits already identified by Jesus right here in the Sermon on the Mount? Such as the Beatitudes. Are they marked by a deep awareness of their sin that causes them to be poor in spirit? Has the grace of God humbled them and made them meek? Do they hunger and thirst after righteousness as seen by their own pursuit of Christ and personal holiness? Is there purity of heart as they seek after treasures in heaven instead of acquiring more and more and more treasures here on earth? Another test concerns the the fruit of the Spirit. Does his life, or even her life, display the works of the flesh, as Paul identifies in Galatians 5, or the fruit of the Spirit? And so whenever we see a teacher, see in a teacher the the meekness of Jesus Christ, the gentleness of Jesus Christ, along with his love and patience and kindness, goodness and self-encourage, control. Listen, we have good reason to believe him to be true and not false. On the other hand, whenever these qualities, that is the fruit of the spirit, are missing and the works of the flesh are more apparent than the fruit of the spirit, we are justified in discerning that this teacher perhaps is false, no matter what he may claim. In examining a teacher's fruit, you have to examine both his message and his life. For false teachers are not just false in their teaching, but also in their living. In fact, referring to false teachers, Paul writes in Titus 1.16, he says this, They profess, they, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Second Peter chapter 2, 
which I encourage you to read that whole chapter because it's all about false teachers and false teaching. In fact, it, the chapter is actually remarkable in how it fleshes out Jesus' warning here in the Sermon on the Mount about the fruit of false teaching. But what is interesting about that particular chapter is Peter has actually very little to say about compromised teaching, but he gives a litany of descriptions about compromised living. Look what it says. Turn there and look at it with me. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And Peter says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And then he goes on, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed... They will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not sheep. J.C. Ryle summed it up well when he said, Sound doctrine and holy living are the marks of true shepherds. Jesus gives us one final truth about false teachers here, Matthew 7, number 3. He tells us their destiny. He says false teachers will be destroyed. In the fire of judgment. Look what he says. Verses 19 through 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. In the end, Jesus is telling us that false teachers will simply be exposed to be false believers. Who walked on the broad road that leads to eternal destruction. Another commentator, Daniel Doriani, is right when he writes, and I quote, Many may deceive for a time, but words and deeds eventually reveal where the heart lies. No one evades God's justice forever. Bad trees, that is trees that bear no fruit, are cut down and thrown into the fire of judgment. So beware, Jesus warns us. We must guard against the false teachers by discerning their fruits, lest we are deceived and perhaps even destroyed ourselves. However, this warning, let me say this, gives us no encouragement either to become suspicious of every teacher we see in here or even to take up the hobby of heresy hunting. That is not what Jesus is advocating here. Rather, He is telling us, this is a serious reminder, though, that there are false teachers in the church today and that we simply should be on guard and discern their fruits. Why? Because truth matters. And if we care for God's truth, if we care for God's church, then we must take Jesus' warning here seriously. At the same time, please listen to me. It is not enough to simply step back and examine their lives without also examining our lives. We need to examine the evidence of both the false teacher, but also our lives as well. Notice this in your notes. Let us examine our lives to discern if we are true believers in Jesus Christ. Or false believers. 
If we are a healthy tree bearing good fruit or a diseased tree bearing bad fruit. Listen, the same inescapable reality applies to us as it does to false teachers. You, me, we ultimately cannot hide who you really are. Jesus says, just as he says of the false teachers, he says of all of us here this morning, you are recognized by what? Your fruits. You see, the problem is the danger of having this outward appearance of being a true believer when in reality, perhaps you are sitting here this morning and you are not. We are tempted sometimes to think that if we simply say the right things, do the right religious activities, then, well, I must be a Christian after all. But as Sinclair Ferguson writes, Jesus' words teach us a basic lesson in spiritual discernment. It is possible to exercise spiritual gifts, such as mentioned here in verse 22, and yet be a total stranger to God's saving grace. What really counts, he says, is how we are then related to Jesus Christ himself. And so true Christians, listen, they are ones who have embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord through faith in him. They know Jesus, as we will see next Sunday. And more importantly, Jesus says, I know you. And so to be a Christian, we must become a new creation in Christ. That's the essential distinction. Every person is either one of two things. Either he is still lost in his sin nature. In fact, he is an object of God's wrath who is destined for eternal hell. Or you are a new creation. One who has been born again by the Spirit of God, destined then for eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. And so what you say, what you do, yes, it serves evidence, as we will see next Sunday, of who you are. But it's who you are. That is, born again, a new creation that will determine whether you enjoy the new creation in heaven or whether, in the words of Jesus Christ, you are cut down and thrown into the fire of judgment. Listen, it's not a question of whether you bear fruit or not. Jesus says both trees bear fruit. One tree bears bad fruit. Why? Because at its core, at its heart, the tree is bad. And the other tree bears good fruit. Why? Because of what it is. It's a good tree. Not because of our own goodness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we need, as we examine false teachers, we better examine ourselves. We need to look at our own fruit. And we need to see if we are really bearing fruit in keeping with repentance of sin, in faith in Jesus Christ, or whether we are bearing sin, disease, rotten fruit that may look good on the surface, but it's putrefied at the core. 
Yes, Jesus says, beware of false teachers. But let us also examine our own lives as well. Let's pray. Perhaps this morning, for the first time, the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart and even making clear to you that you have never entered through the narrow gate of salvation. You have never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord through saving faith. But now, well, you realize that and you want to. You want to enter that narrow gate of salvation and walk that narrow road. And if that's you, then let me encourage you to use this time to respond to God's invitation to enter the kingdom of God. Cry out to God, pray to him, and express to him the desire of your heart to be saved. Admit that you are a sinner and ask him to forgive you and that you want to trust Jesus for your salvation. You can do that while the instrumentalists play through a chorus. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would enable us to respond in faith to the teaching of your word. We also ask that you would move in the heart of anyone who has never received by faith Jesus as their Savior. And we thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.